From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Yeah. We're happy to be with you, as always. We are. And some of our regular listeners have noticed that in the past few weeks, there's been a change at the end of the podcast when you hear the kind of product producer's voice. Right. Uh, no longer our friend Mark Guiney. That's right. In fact, one of our listeners even submitted that as a question. Where did Mark What go? happened to Mark? <laughs> Mark did some great work for us getting our podcast launched Etc. We are so grateful, Mark. Yes. If you're listening out there, Mark, thank you so much. Um, he had a change in his life. Uh, he had a new full-time job that he took. And uh, we also had a change at the Institute. We brought on our son, Thomas West, who's working now full-time for the Institute. And now he's producing our podcast. So that's that's what happened with Mark. Yeah. We... Uh love him and bless him and all the good that he is doing for the kingdom and just in sharing his gifts in the world. So we really, really have, uh, you know, benefited from his getting us started in this world of podcasting. And it's fun to have it be even more of a family affair with our son, Thomas, producing the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Um, so what's going on right now with the Tubi Institute? Tubi Institute world. We have some exciting things coming up. We've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks on the podcast. The TOB Congress that was supposed to be in Cleveland this year. We do this every few years at the TOB Institute. We have an international congress with major name speakers and people come from around the country and around the world. Unfortunately, we can't do it in Cleveland this year because of the whole COVID thing. So we're taking it online. Uh, I know maybe some of you out there in uh, COVID shutdown world are uh, are maybe a little tired of all these Catholic online conferences because <laughs> <laughs> so many people have been doing them. But this one's different. This is going to be really a, li a live event for the most part. Some of the talks will be pre-recorded, but they're they're going to be happening in real time, and then all the speakers. Main, the main keynotes anyway, will have a live Q&A time and there'll be live um, uh, live holy hours, uh, lots of interaction. We're trying to make it in as much as you can through an online event. We're trying to give it a live feel and we're really excited about our presenters. I'm just going to mention uh, two of my favorite that I'm most excited about anyway. Okay. George Weigel, the Pope's biographer, the Pope as in John Paul II. He wrote Witness to Hope. Uh, he is, I in some ways, I even owe the launch of my career to George Weigel. In the 90s, when I was first talking about theology of the body a lot, uh, not a lot of people were, were believing me when I was saying how important this is. Because well, why haven't we heard this before? I say, no, 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 this is really, really important. It's right. going to change things in the church and in the world. And then Weigel's biography came out in 99, I think it was, in which he said the theology of the body is like a theological time bomb set to go off possibly in the 21st century. And 
people started taking notice and I started getting invited a lot more to talk about theology of the body. Mm. Anyway, this is one of the reasons I'm really excited George Weigel is yes. going to be part of this. And Scott Hahn is going to be part of this as well. Scott and I have known each other for years. Uh, we first met when I was giving a talk in Steubenville in the 90s and we shared a, a common hope and vision for the church. And um, I remember one time Scott and Kimberly and I were speaking at a conference together and we ended up being the only three people on the airplane coming out. It was just the pilots, uh, one flight attendant, Scott and Kimberly and I. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm really excited that Scott was able to finally say yes to an invitation to speak at one of our congresses. So he's going to be giving a, a talk on the theology of the body and how it's related to his whole emphasis over the years of covenant theology. Mm -hmm. And I'll just give a little insight here, a little, little heads up that whenever you hear that word covenant in scripture, God establishing a covenant with his people, you can just supply the word marriage to make it a little more um, familiar to, you know, with what we're, uh, what we're familiar with. So Scott's going to be making these connections, how the covenant that God wants to establish with his people is a marital covenant and how that marital covenant has literally been chiseled by God. A sign of it has been chiseled by God right in our bodies. Theology of the body, covenant theology coming together in Scott Hahn's presentation. It's going to be pretty dang exciting if I do say so myself. So that's happening at the end of October, October 30th through November 1st. We'll have a link in the show notes to, to register for that. Uh, there's uh, also an opportunity for scholarships if you're in a financial pinch. And, uh, and those who are financially doing just fine, if you want to help donate to our scholarship fund to, to fund those to come to the Congress who might not be able to afford it, that would all be helpful as well. You can learn more about all that stuff by just clicking the link in the show notes to the Congress. And we are following up the Congress in November with an online Theology of the Body Level 1 course. We'll also have that link in the show notes. If you have ever wanted to take Theology of the Body Level 1 through the Institute and have not been able to travel here to Pennsylvania to take it, now's your chance to take it online. So mm -hmm. check out the link in the show notes for that as well. Excellent. Well, shall I start with a question Let's from a listener? The first question is from... Uh, a man named Sanjana. Sanjana, that's mm -hmm. a cool name. I may be saying it all wrong. I'm sorry, but that's how it looks to me. All right. Sorry, uh, Sanjana, if we are, maybe we should be saying Sanjana. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Sanjana. I have heard you mention that we're not spiritual beings stuck in a human body, and also that the human body is good. But when I read Romans chapter 7, verse 18, St. Paul says, Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The more I read Romans chapter 7, the more I feel like the human body is not good. Can you please explain to me what St. Paul meant? Yes, we cannot take uh, any line in Scripture out of the overall context of Scripture. And to zoom in on this one specifically, we have to understand properly what St. Paul means by flesh. If Paul uses these words spirit and flesh in an interesting way. Uh, to live by the spirit in Paul's language does not mean we reject the flesh. To live by the spirit means we open our whole body, soul, humanity. That's what we are as human beings. 
We are a union of body and soul. Uh, we have to read Romans in light of Genesis, in light of the incarnation, in light of the resurrection of our own bodies. Uh, Paul is very clear on all of these things. And I know he says, um, do you not know that your body is a temple, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That's the same St. Paul. Same St. Paul. Talking about living by the Spirit, our body is the temple of that Holy Spirit. So I think that's you know certainly relevant. Absolutely relevant and critical. So all of this must be read in context. Uh, Genesis looked, says that God looked at everything he made, and he made us male and female, body and soul, and his image and likeness. And he said, behold, it is very good. So when Paul is saying, nothing good dwells in my flesh, he's not saying the body is bad. We have to understand what he means by living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. Living by the Spirit, again, means we open our entire body-soul humanity to the indwelling of the Spirit. Living by the flesh, in Paul's language, means our whole humanity, body and soul, is cut off from the life of God because we haven't opened our humanity to the Spirit. This is what happened with original sin. If we go back to the beginning, that whole uh, imagery of God breathing into the dust, the breath of life, uh, that's an inspiration, right? The breathing in of the Holy Spirit, inspiration, right? God says if you eat from that tree, this is all the symbolism of original sin, you will expire. Right? What does that mean? You'll breathe out the spirit that I've breathed into you. Inspire, expire. The flesh, in Paul's language, we could say, is expired humanity. It's our whole humanity, body and soul, that has expired, breathed out the spirit. So in that sense, if we've breathed out God's very life and love from our humanity, then we're left with something that leads to death, and that is not good. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what's not good about our humanity cut off from the life of God. But he also says elsewhere in Romans, if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then that same Spirit will give life to your mortal body also. Hmm. So, so that's how we hold all this together, right? We open our whole humanity, body and soul, to that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And guess what? Now even our mortal bodies will have divine life and the promise of resurrection. So uh, this was a very, very important question. I'm, I'm glad uh, you'll have to remind me his name. because Sanjana. Sanjana. Thank you, Sanjana, for, for submitting that question. That can be very puzzling. And by the way, did you know that it is a biblical truth that Paul's letters can be difficult to understand. Because in one of St. Peter's letters, which is in the Bible, uh -huh. he talks about how Paul's letters can be very difficult to understand. <laughs> so you're not alone there, Sunwana, Sunjana. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering your name. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful name. I just can't say it because I'm not from wherever you're from. Um, but anyway, yes, such an important question, so important that we read Paul correctly, because man, when we read him incorrectly, and so many people do, we get a very, very skewed and even heretical vision of our humanity, which is very damaging to us. I have just a little follow-up question myself yeah. for you. That I'm just wondering, as you think about that particular chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans, um, chapter 7, 
What do you think is his overall tone or theme? Like, is it is what he intends for the Romans one of communicating his gratitude for the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling? Is it one of caution about um, not recognizing our need for the Holy Spirit? What What is he yeah. hoping we would get from it that we're rather than the confusion that we sometimes get, do you think? Well, I would I would want to hold seven and eight together to get what he's getting at. Of course, you want to hold the whole letter together, sure. and you want to put that whole letter in the context of right. the whole, script, right. whole of Scripture, as we've been saying. But I think to understand uh, what he's getting at in, in Romans 7, you have to read it with Romans 8. And Romans 7, you know, has that famous passage in it about, I, I see what I want to do, and I want to follow God's law, but I can't follow it. There's this war in my members, he right. says, mm -hmm. uh, that battles against the law of the Lord. I see the good I want to do, but oh, how wretched I am. Who can save me from this wretched situation? And it seems kind of a downer, but we, we got to read that next line, which, where he says, praise be to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So in Romans 7, there is a theme of struggle. Mm between spirit and flesh. there And there is a, a tension. Uh, John Paul II speaks of a, a system of powers that are in conflict because of our, not because of the way God made us, but because of our fallenness. Mm -hmm. And Paul kind of capitalizes on that system of powers being in conflict when he talks about the spirit and the flesh. Again, all of it has to be held in the context in which we're saying it has to be held. Uh, not in a dualistic, ruptured way, but in an, an integral way. Live by the Spirit does not mean reject the flesh, as we've been saying. It means open your entire body, soul, humanity to the indwelling of the Spirit. But what does he say in Romans chapter 8? I think the main theme in Romans chapter 8 is this hope of the redemption of our bodies. Mm lest there be any lingering thought that Paul is somehow a downer on our physicality. He holds out to us in Romans chapter 8 this, I mean, it's really profound. Our faith is not redemption from the body. It is redemption of the body. It's not salvation from the flesh. It's salvation of the flesh. And Paul even says that the entire physical world, the entire universe is groaning as in labor pains, waiting for us to experience and to say yes to the redemption of our bodies, because the whole physical world goes the way that we do. So this is, in Romans chapter 8, this is a profound affirmation of the entire physical world, that Christ came and entered this physical world, took on flesh precisely, not just to redeem our flesh, but to redeem the entire physical world. Got to hold Romans 7 and Romans 8 together. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking. Our next question is from Melody. Hey, Melody. Melody says, I'm a 21-year-old entering my senior year at a Catholic university, and I have always wanted to be a nun. My parents' marriage is not a healthy one, so growing up, I ran away from the vocation to marriage. That is, until a little while ago when I had what I like to call a Maria von Trapp moment. Ah, I love it! <laughs> where I realized I had fallen for someone. Ah, who's the captain? <laughs> because of this, <laughs> I decided to take a course on Theology of the Body. 
practice led to the healing of my, quote, marriage wounds. Oh, praise God, and Melody. I That's soon, awesome. Yes, I soon fell in love with the beauty and richness of the vocation to marriage. My question, though, is how can I know for sure if I'm meant to pursue the vocation to marriage? What if I have the grace for living continence for the kingdom and I choose marriage instead? Mm -hmm. Is this choosing a lesser good over the greater good? And how can you reconcile the saints' words that say celibacy, celibacy is the superior vocation when the sacrament of marriage is so beautiful and ordained by God? Oh, there's some great stuff going on, not only in this question, but in Melody's heart yeah. and life. That's yes. pretty, pretty awesome. It is. I'm so happy, Melody, that you have discovered John Paul's teaching. And I just want to start by saying it shines a bright light, not only on marriage, but on celibacy for the kingdom mm -hmm. and how profoundly related these two vocations are. You can't understand one without the other. And I'm so glad that she brought up The Sound of Music because it's one of my favorite movies uh, in, for many reasons. But I love how The Sound of Music shows the beauty of both vocations. And I love how it's the mother superior who tells Maria she's called to marriage and really points her in that direction and shows her the beauty of that vocation. It's a nun who tells her, you're called to marriage. Don't and and she says this convent, the walls here in this convent are are not something to hide uh, behind. And I think perhaps Melody here is maybe even confessing. Maybe she's been hiding there too because of this wound in marriage. She says she always wanted to be a nun, but it seems maybe I may be reading into this, but it seems that that desire to be a nun was motivated, at least in part, by a fear of marriage. And John Paul II is very clear on this point. He says, uh, such a vocation, if one were to choose celibacy for the kingdom out of a fear of marriage or a disdain for marriage, that this does not correspond to the call of Christ. And you cannot understand celibacy in its true value, nor embrace celibacy in its true value, says John Paul II, unless you understand the true value of marriage. The, the value of a sacrifice is based on the value of what you give up. Why does the church place such a high value on celibacy for the kingdom? Precisely because the church places such a high value on that which celibates sacrifice, married life. So Melody is pointing out all these things as she's asking the very question. And she's saying, how, how is this all related? How, is this all hold, how, how does this all hold together? And, and how do I know what I'm called to? Well, first let me say a little bit about uh, the superiority uh, line in Scripture. St. Paul says, those who marry do well, but those who remain celibate for the kingdom do better. Well, what does that mean? I think if I can, I can say a, a word about that, then we can get into some of the other layers of her question. And Wendy, I'm going to rely on you to remind me if I'm forgetting any of these layers of the question, and you can answer any that I forget as well. Okay, so uh, he who marries does well. He who remains celibate for the kingdom does better. St. Paul teaches that. We can't just skip over it because it might make us uncomfortable. It has been misunderstood by many over the centuries, and we have to correct those misunderstandings, as John Paul II does very clearly and forthrightly in the theology of the body. 
He says, there is no place for a devaluation of marriage in St. Paul's words. There is no place for a Manichaean interpretation of St. Paul's words. What is Manichaeism? It's that age-old hellish heresy. All heresies are hellish. They come from hell, all of them. But uh, this one's particularly hellish that says basically spirit good, body bad. And that would devalue marriage because it has to do with sexual intercourse and the joining of the two in one flesh. This is not Christian faith. This is not what St. Paul is saying. When he, he, In fact, he says it. Those who marry do well. He doesn't say those who marry do poorly. He doesn't say those who marry sin. He says those who marry do well. But those who remain celibate do better. Why? We have to understand the object of the choice. Uh, the marriage of man and woman begins the Bible, but the marriage of Christ and the church ends the Bible. And the whole purpose of the marriage of man and woman is to point us to the marriage of Christ and the church. And you no longer need the sign to point you there when you're there. This is why Jesus says in the resurrection, we're no longer given in marriage because you no longer need a sign to point you to Disneyland when you're in Disneyland. You are there. The ultimate destiny of every human being, why we exist is for the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of Christ and his church. That is the ultimate fulfillment of every desire we have for love, for union, for affirmation, for intimacy, for touch, for joy, for pleasure, for happiness. It's all found in the marriage of the Lamb. Only in that context can we understand why Christ calls some to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom. I think it's unfortunate that we even use the word celibacy because it tells us what they're not doing. If we put it in the positive, what have they embraced? They've embraced the marriage of the Lamb. So, the real question here is which marriage, the marriage of man and woman or the marriage of Christ and the church, which marriage is objectively better? The marriage that is objectively better, the marriage that is objectively superior, is the eternal marriage, the marriage of Christ and the church. It's the same thing as saying heaven is better than earth, uh, but it's better in the objective sense. Uh, what is better subjectively for you, Melody, is the vocation to which you are called, right? So you and I, Wendy, obviously, we were called to the sacrament of marriage. We should not uh, think, okay, fine, God, why'd you give me the objectively inferior vocation? Rather, we should rejoice that this is the call that God has given us, and subjectively, for you and for me, this was the better choice for us because this was the vocation to which we are called. This is God's plan for us to reach the eternal marriage is by living the sacrament here on planet Earth. Um, so, Melody, the question that you're really asking is, how do I know what the Lord is calling me to? And I can't give you a definitive answer on that, but I do know this. Your desires are a very important indication. And this Captain Von Trapp who's come into your life, whoever he might be, if your desires, uh, and, I, and I don't mean here just kind of surfacy, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be married? I mean, like, deep in your heart, what are the desires the Lord has put there? Yes, the Lord does at times invite us to offer in sacrifice 
even things we desire very greatly and treasure. And therein lies the, the real merit, the real potency, the real power of remaining celibate for the kingdom. I'll, I'll say to celibates, both priests and religious women, uh, when I give convocations to priests or retreats for religious women, Sometimes they'll say to me, you know, I, I, I think I may have chosen the wrong vocation because I so long for a spouse. And I'll say, no, that's not an indication that you've chosen the wrong vocations. It's an indication of the real sacrificial nature of your gift. Uh, in fact, there would, be, there would be something lacking if you didn't feel that absence, if you didn't feel that ache. Marriage, as John Paul II put it, is the normal and noble vocation of the human person. And Christ himself uh, does not shy away from, from speaking of the sacrifice that will be required in, in offering that up for the sake of the kingdom. Those are the words, or close to them, of John Paul II himself. So, Melody, I would invite you just every day to open the desires of your heart to the Lord without fear and to continue the journey. You said your, your, your fear of marriage has been healed. I, I would just invite you to, to keep opening that up. And uh, in my experience, um, it's, it's rare that we can say definitively something is healed, especially when uh, we're talking about something that goes so deep in the heart, meaning your parents had a very difficult marriage. Those, those wounds go deep in the heart, and there's, there's oftentimes more and more layers of healing that the Lord wants to bring to us. And I think that, that continuing that journey of just opening up those hurts, those memories in your life to the Lord will clarify for you what the Lord is calling you to. Uh, Wendy, what do you want to say about any of this? Yeah, I like you. I I loved hearing Melody's summary of of her recent journey in in this question, and um, I think it's really a beautiful concept just to share with our listeners of this idea of marriage wounds. You know how many people talk about that in yeah. in the world, um, but it's it's real and deep and we love our parents and we we want them to be happy and we see if we see that they've suffered um it it impacts us deeply yes. and uh it's such a sign of your openness to the lord's love and the holy spirit that you've allowed him to shine light on that you know it, that's that takes grace just to to look at that kind of thing in our hearts and to um encourage and to trust him that he loves you so much and can heal wounds. And I agree with what you're saying. It's an ongoing journey. And in a way, it's also kind of part of the formation of your conscience. Yes, good point. That um, we we have a conscience, a sense of right and wrong, but it's not a perfect conscience. It's formed by influences mm -hmm. in our lives. And um, your sense, Melody, and others in similar situations of kind of the right and wrong of marriage versus celibacy has, you know, needed healing, needed greater formation. And conscience, that sense of the true good that we strive for is essential for making big life choices. Yes. So, I, you know, at 21, entering your senior year, it it for some people that is a time of decision. For some people, that's a time of just continuing to 
to grow as the Lord is leading. I love that the Lord is doing so much in your heart and um, that you're kind of bringing together these different aspects of things you've learned and read and felt in your own life. I, I mostly just want to encourage you to keep going and not allow the evil one to kind of give you fears yeah. that somehow you're going to disappoint God. You know, yes, that, yes. that um, somehow he has something he wants you to sacrifice and that if you would choose otherwise that somehow that would disappoint him. I think that that's a, a temptation many of us face, especially in this discerning of a vocation. And that is is just a wound and a fear of failure or being a disappointment that is so important to open to the Lord in prayer and allow him to speak directly to that in your heart, maybe show you where it has come from so that you can trust more and more that he really is doing a beautiful work in your life that he's going to continue to do that. I have two stories that I, I just want to share briefly that I think could shine a light for you here, Melody. Uh, one is, uh, I just heard this very recently, um, a woman who was living a, a consecrated celibate life for almost 20 years, and she recently, through discernment, spiritual direction, uh, left that religious group and is living as a lay person and, and is open even possibly to marriage. And the change in her heart came from discovering theology of the body a few years ago. And she realized my entire discernment process was skewed because she, she had fears and wounds and thought holiness meant repressing her desires, uh, meant kind of neutering herself and um, she was not in touch with her real femininity. John Paul II is so clear that the call either to marriage or to celibacy for the kingdom must come from uh, the true meaning of our creation as male and female, not some, of, not some kind of repressive neutering or, or uh, even licentious indulgence that we might think marriage is. See, when, when we get this wrong, when we don't see this call to integrating our sexuality into our spirituality, we end up thinking of married life as somehow a legitimate indulgence of our disordered desires, and we think of celibate life as this hopeless repression of, of sexuality. Both are wrong because both are disintegrated. So this woman was discovering this path to integration, and she realized uh, that she had discerned her whole vocation in a very skewed way, and she was able to be rightly liberated from the commitments she had made and did it all in the right way and is living now as a lay person and looking for God's will in her life. So I hold that out to you, Melody, that, that I would guess that you are probably not in a place to say, I'm called to be a nun, <laughs> because uh, the, the lifelong desire to be a nun was rooted in a lot of pain and fear and wounds, uh, and, and that needs more healing to ever really come come clear on whether you would have that vocation. Here's another quick story. Uh, a man I know, I met him maybe 15 years ago. He invited me to give a talk. And uh, I may have told this story on a previous podcast. I can't remember. Um, but he was married, had several kids. And we were up late one night at his house drinking a beer and having some conversation. And 
uh, well, drinking two beers. He had one and I had the other. It sounded like we were sharing a, <laughs> the same beer. It's not what I meant to say. Anyway, not a point that's even important. Um, the, point, the point that is important is I remember him saying, I know I was called to be a priest, but I told the Lord, thank you, but no thank you. I want to get married. And look how the Lord has blessed me with these, this beautiful wife and, and these wonderful kids. I remember thinking that was so boldly confident in the Lord's love for him and so boldly confident in trusting that the Lord would bless him. It really does come down to a free choice. The Lord never imposes a vocation on us. Uh, he, he, he really wants us to choose. He really wants us to use our freedom. And it is not a choice between good and evil. It is a choice between that which is objectively wonderful and that which is objectively even more wonderful. So I hope that's helpful for you, Melody. Uh, I also want to say I love your name. I think the Lord is singing to you hmm. uh, through your name, that he has a melody for you, Melody. And that melody is the song of songs, and that's going to be lived out in one way or another for you. And we, we just lift you up and bless you there. And I think the Lord is going to make his will very clear for you as you continue to just open your heart to him. Yes. I have one final question okay. uh, from Peter who says, um, Hi, I would like to introduce TOB to my parish. Is there a video series that you would recommend? Well, Peter... I think I can recommend a few to you. Um, I have done many over the years. Uh, I, I, I want to recommend actually the most recent one I have done. I, I tend to, I still like all my, my old stuff, although I've retired things over the years because I've grown in the way I've presented things. Uh, but Ascension Press puts out a series. This was maybe recorded 10 years ago or so called uh, The Gift, An Introduction to Theology of the Body. That's great. I'm still very valuable, even though it's about 10 years old. I don't think I have a gray hair on my head in that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the most recent series I've recorded is called Fulfilled. And what I like about this series is it's a, it's a reflection on the catechism, the first pillar of the catechism, primarily our desire and yearning for God, what is faith, and what is the creed? What is the creed that we profess? But we look at that first pillar of the catechism wearing the lenses of John Paul's theology of the body. Mikhail Waldstein, uh, a dear friend and colleague in this work promoting John Paul's teaching, says that the theology of the body is the John Pauline lens for reading the catechism. And I love that because it shows how theology of the body is really like a pair of glasses that when we put them on, illuminates our whole faith. And I love going through the creed with these glasses on because, you know, we've been saying the creed since we were little kids, but sometimes it's maybe overly familiar. The words just kind of rattle off our tongues and we may not even really know what we're saying. I love bringing the faith alive for people with John Paul II's help. And that's what I do in this series called Fulfilled. It's about our yearning, our ache for fulfillment, and how the Christian life really is the promise that there is a banquet that corresponds to the hunger. So it'd be a great 
introduction, Peter, uh, both to theology of the body and the catechism of the Catholic Church, and it will show your parish how the theology of the body is not just for married people, it's for everybody. If you have a body, theology of the body applies to you. I have a body. You do, Wendy. I do. It and applies to the me. The theology of the body applies <laughs> to you, and you and I have become one body. It applies to us. It applies to us. We have praise God. <laughs> yeah, we have so much to to be grateful for in in how theology of the body has informed what it means not just to be married, but what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to be a person of faith. Uh, so, Peter, that would that would be what I'd recommend, and we will put a link to how you can learn more about that series uh, in the show notes. So, we hope that's helpful to you. And I think those are our three questions for this episode. That's what we typically like to do. So, we hope that was helpful for you. Keep the questions coming, and if you were blessed by this episode, please hit that share button on your device and share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. And we could also use your help to keep doing what we're doing. If you've been blessed by this work, we would invite you to consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. You can learn more about that also through the link in the show notes. Until next time, remember, as always, you are an indispensable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.